relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Show me your movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly, the Director's Cut, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the horror movies we love oh, so much. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in the space that centers the work of women. Joining me today is patient zero of strange PT cruiser sightings and truly <laughs> one of the best people on the planet. It's Ariel. Hi. Hey, so girl. Well, it's true. It's true. This is how much I love you. I'm being pursued by PT cruisers, and I still want want to be around you. I still want to talk to you. I still want to interact in a way that allows the al- algorithm of the simulation in which we exist, whether we want to believe it or not, begins to target me with PT uh-huh. cruisers and the in. people they're in. <laughs> that's how great you are. So if you ever oh, want to know, that's so how sweet. great. Well, and now, it you know, one of the perks of yeah. being a Patreon member. Oh, uh, this you is get the Discord. Perk. And if you're in the Discord, <laughs> you will know that the PT Scruiser, the PT Scruisers is correct. That's what we call a Freudian slip. <laughs> yep. Yep. The pandemic the of PT Cruisers is spreading throughout our mm-hmm. Discord. So, yes, it, <laughs> I, it had made it to Central California from from the um, you know Pacific Northwest, and I thought, wow. Wow, Ariel's got some reach. <laughs> oh, but if your reach is stronger and longer than I would have ever imagined. It made it all the way to the East Coast. I know. Crazy. Yeah. One of our <laughs> patrons is now being stalked by PT Cruisers. And there's only one explanation. It's not that they randomly saw a PT Cruiser. It's mm-hmm. that it has been sent by the cults that you have... <laughs> And they have found, like I said, infecting everyone. Yeah, this is one of the the downsides of being in a simulation. Yeah, weird stuff happens, man. What are you gonna do? Definitely not go to the second location. That's, that's for <laughs> no, sure. No, never go to the second location. <laughs> All right. So aside from the plague of PT cruisers, which is the collective noun, I've decided. Uh-huh. Um, how have you been? How are you doing? What's going on? What's the tea? Uh, I don't think I have any tea, but I'm doing good. Okay. Well, I'll take that. I'll take good. I'll take good. <laughs> well, I know one reason for you to be very excited today. Yes. And it's because we have an amazing show this week, you guys. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. This is one that has been in the works for ages. I mean, the other person didn't know it had been in the works for ages. But here in more deadly headquarters, this has been a dream of ours for a long time. Ever since we saw her first film, Lyle. Yes. Yes, that's right, folks. We are at last making a long time, more deadly dream come true today. We are talking to Stuart Thorndike about her new film, Bad Things. Uh, it was a real dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited for people to hear this one. Yeah, I remember when we did Lyle, we were like learned about how she had this trilogy of like motherhood trilogy that she had planned. And like we were like, holy shit, we've got to get her on the show. Whenever this comes out, we're covering it. And I'm going to throw myself in front of whatever PR person I need to. I'm going to fall (laughs) like fall in their mercy. And guess what? It worked. (laughs) (laughs) We were successful. Yes, we were. Okay, but before we get too far into this, let's do a quick little disclaimer. I want to be clear that we are speaking to Stuart strictly as a director, as required by the SAG, AFRA, and Writers Guild strike. We are not crossing a picket line. She did not cross a picket line. We support the strike, as does she. I just want to make that very clear. We are talking to a director today. Yes. Yeah, like I said, we have an amazing conversation with Stuart. We asked, got to ask her all of our questions and so much more. She was, of, 
totally generous with her time. Like I think we definitely went over and she was so oh, kind yeah, about did. it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was as amazing as I could have hoped. I don't know about you. She was so cool. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the film before we get into the interview. Now, as you know, we like to do a little in-depth uh, profile on our director's background whenever we talk about one of their films. And we did. We did do one back on episode 57 when we reviewed Lyle. So if you haven't heard that episode, first of all, you should definitely watch that movie. It's on Shutter. It's absolutely fantastic. And then you should listen to our episode on it where we review it and we give you an in-depth uh, you know, profile on, on Stuart. Like for this episode, I'm just going to do a really light version. Is that okay with you? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. Stuart Thorndike is an American director, writer, and actor. She's originally from Tacoma, Washington, so a.k.a. your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she knows about the PT. Oh, God. We should <laughs> have she, asked her. If she is ever on the show again, please do not ask her that question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me this to ask her. I was like, really? <laughs> So she earned her MFA in directing at the NYU Tisch School of the Arts and is a fellow with the San Francisco Film Society's inaugural Women Filmmaker Fellowship for Women in Genre. That's a mouthful and it's very impressive. Yeah. (laughs) Not surprising, though. She's so talented. So talented. To date, Lyle was Stewart's first feature film. And tonight, uh, which we'll be discussing... Bad Things is her second, and it is the second in part of her motherhood trilogy that she has planned. We get a little bit of tea about that, but I won't spoil it here. It's exciting, though. Yes. As far as her personal life, she is an out queer woman, and her films reflect that by being seen very much through a queer lens, which is awesome. Yes. In addition to being a filmmaker, she is also an assistant teaching professor at uh, film at the Syracuse University College of Visual and Performing Arts. So she's not only doing it, she's teaching it. And, yeah, she's uh, a smarty pants. Lifting up the next generation of filmmakers, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing, right? Because like there's so many filmmakers are mentors for the next generation. We all watch things and are influenced and that's true of filmmakers as well. So to know that she's out there like being that person is pretty cool. Yeah. I also just think about the next generation of filmmakers who were students of hers and the Mm -hmm. kind of interesting movies they're likely to make because she influenced them early on, you know? Right. That's so cool. That is really, really cool. And she's such an interesting and thoughtful person, which you guys are all going to get to hear uh, when we get into this. But we do got to do a spoiler warning. Ariel, how do we handle spoiler warnings on More Deadly Director's Cut? Yeah, so we tried to stay away from big spoilers. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't think we spoil like some of the big twists that happen at the end of the film. But we do go into some detail about themes and things like that. So just be aware that we will be doing a little bit of spoilery stuff. But I think even if you haven't seen it, you would enjoy this interview. Absolutely. Plus, it's on Shutter starting. Yeah, go watch it. I, I think probably most of you are hearing this. It's currently on Shutter. If you're a patron, it's on Shutter tomorrow. So <laughs> the wait will be short. Very small. All right, Ariel, what is this movie about? All right. So this movie is about a group of friends who go to spend a weekend at this abandoned hotel because Ruthie, our main character, has inherited it from her grandmother. And they've decided to spend a weekend there while she's trying to decide whether to sell it or what to do with it. And there are some bad memories that are there. So Mm -hmm. it's her and her partner, Cal, and two of their friends. And they go there to kind of like drink and eat and have a good time in the pool. But things start to go wrong. And there may be some supernatural stuff happening, some violent things happening. And all of the relationships (laughs) start Mm -hmm. to fall apart, like really badly fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it just sort of gets worse from there. Yeah. Gets more and more interesting and violent. I don't want to give anything away, though, because I feel like people should see this movie. Right. Right. Would you say that bad things happen to them? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Just possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Okay. So let's give the floor to Stuart. But just generally, for people who are trying to decide, should they watch this? Where did you land on this? What did you think of this? Give me your sort of non-spoiler review of bad things uh yeah people should definitely check this one out i Mm -hmm. really really enjoyed myself 
I loved all of the shining references. There are so many like cool visual moments that I kept going like, oh, that's like that. That's like that. It was really fun. But mostly because the characters in this movie feel so lived in and so real. All of their like relationships and the dynamics of the relationships, all of their interactions felt really right. And I think especially because it was made by a queer woman, everything felt so much more real. Like a lot of time when lesbians are on film, it just doesn't feel quite right. And I feel yeah. like she got all those relationship dynamics right. Even the styling of the characters was really mm -hmm. good. So I super appreciated that. I also, you know, like you, love a movie where there's like complicated characters and nobody's really a good guy. Yeah. Pretty much everybody to a T is pretty shitty here. Even yeah. the most innocent person they all make like a couple of really crappy decisions in this yeah. movie, yeah. Uh, really selfish decisions. So mm -hmm. it makes it way more interesting. The whole backstory of what's happening in this hotel is super cool. The hotel is like a character in and of itself and is really great. And then, of course, great violence towards the end. <laughs> and sexy Molly Ringwald. I mean, what more can wow. you ask for? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Sexy Molly Ringwald. The thing we all didn't know we really needed in 2023 was sexy right. Molly Ringwald. Yes. But here you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think you should absolutely check this movie out. It's on Shudder. Stuart Thorndike, there is an innate coolness to the films yeah. that she makes. And I think some of it is because it is these familiar sort of stories or setups that but are totally viewed through this alternate universe kind of lens. Because unlike the people who made these classics like Rosemary's baby or the shining, mm -hmm. she is not a cis dude. <laughs> and yeah. so she brings a unique perspective to it. And it also, it's like this mashing of the, of the familiar and the um, outsider that creates this sort of like strange, uncanny tension. It also presents almost this alternative world where like, what happens if these classic films were actually made by someone with a different worldview? And I think that's an interesting thought experiment. On top of that, it's just a really entertaining and creepy get under your skin kind of movie. I agree with everything you said. The hotel itself is like another character. And in some ways, it's very, very different from the Overlook. But there are moments like when they're in the kitchen where it feels incredibly yes. similar. And that's where it kind of like plays with your head in this way that I think is really interesting. I think it also is in conversation with Lyle because it is part of this motherhood trilogy. And if Lyle is about the danger of the intense desire for a child, this is about the danger of the opposite end of that spectrum. And like how, I mean, Stuart's going to talk a little bit about this in the interview about this relationship that we have with our mother and how complicated and strange and almost like, uh spiritual and religious it is um mm -hmm. and i think that through that perspective that, that's even makes us even more interesting i loved hari neff is it's like just transcendent so in this she's so beautiful she's she perfectly sort of embodies this alternate universe wendy torrance but where like she has the innocence but this very modern she's also this modern woman with a very different um attitude and expectations around boundaries i don't know there there's a lot in this movie it is incredibly thematically dense i think it's a movie that you're going to need to watch multiple times because there's so much happening there uh you talked about people making mistakes or doing making poor decisions oftentimes it's frustrating because the people do are doing it for plot reasons Everything is born out of character in this. That's yeah. how good, the, like the writing and the characterization is so strong. I don't know. I think this movie is really great. I think Stuart Thorndike remains a director that is like absolutely one to watch for me. I cannot, cannot wait to see the third film. And then I want to watch all three of them in a row and see Ooh, exactly yeah. what she has to say about motherhood, like a, like sort of on a macro level. Yeah. That's going to be really exciting. Yeah, for sure. So we hope that this has you as hyped for this movie as we were and as excited to hear Stuart talk about it because, <laughs> oh, my God, what an awesome conversation. <laughs> All right. So are you ready? Should we get this started? What do you yeah, think? let's do it. I want everybody to hear. She's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here is our interview with Stuart Thorndike. Okay. So 
first things first, right off the bat, we're going to expose ourselves for the nerds that we are. We are super fans of Lyle and we have been highly anticipating and watching every single development of bad things since it has been announced and which feels like forever. We've been tracking this. So we are so excited to talk to you today. Oh, I love it. Thank you. That means so much. I can feel the energy. I like it. Good, 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 good. good. So obviously we loved all of the visual nods to the shining in this, especially sort of the endless hallways, our synchronized joggers. You know, these are, these are as horror nerds references that we immediately picked up on. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to sort of connect to the shining through the visual storytelling? So it's interesting because I, my relationship to The Shining is sort of just like woven into my bloodstream and body and instincts because I didn't really notice that I was doing that until I was sort of doing it. Uh And one of the things that I didn't completely own uh, in my head was the joggers as the twins. So that's, it's funny that you bring them up. Um, Someone also (laughs) just pointed out like that. Hari stops to look at a chair that she's admiring and it's outside of room 237 and that's yes! just like total wild coincidence. <laughs> really? Oh, so funny. Oh, yeah, it's got to be Kubrick talking from the grave or something. Yes. Um, Channeling. So, you know, I think I wanted to just like queerify, repurpose, sample, change toy with this masterpiece um it's an instinctual thing and it's just a like repositioning like who's looking and who's telling the story Mm -hmm. um and it changes so you see a kind of conversation happening but it's also allowing women and non-binary people basically non-white straight people to explore all this territory this hot territory that I feel like we're not allowed to explore, even though we are feeling it. So, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we even feel it more because we're told not to. So there's nothing, you know, subtle, there's nothing um, apologetic about the rage. Mm -hmm. Yes, the rage. Great, great (laughs) point. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your amazing cast? And I was just wondering how your cast came together and if casting queer people was a priority for you when making your film. I think it's natural that I am casting queer people because it's my world. And, um, you know, I think we start like I, I smell and find and desire those epic talents. And Hari is just one of those people. Um, Hari took me by surprise in some ways because she's so magnificent and dazzling and always, you know, smartest person in the room and funniest person in the room. But what, when we had our Zoom for uh, about the meeting, she just was so um, soulful and vulnerable and fresh faced and uh, kind of a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. So it was her sadness that I hadn't really mm-hmm. seen before. And I mean, I knew that Cal, casting Cal needed to be, you know, the person that everybody's life revolved around and that, you know, everybody was in love with. And so Hari was a natural fit for that. But what Hari also brought to the part was um, all this pathos and pain. And I think that's really what is a surprise and a secret weapon of Hari's. And I want to see more of, you know, with her is her dramatic relationship to pain. And just, I think it's really beautiful. And that's, that's so interesting because I think about, you know, both of your films have these central sort of female characters that are in a place of real pain um and they they are who you kind of latch onto what whether it was Hari or Gabby in the first film i mean she was magnetic and both of the these women have that quality so it's interesting that you're drawn to something very there's something very specific that you're drawn to as a director that i think is really it makes for compelling film for sure you for know sure. i think it's i think it's true and it's funny cuz you start to understand that it's talent but it's also a sensibility too that is attractive you know thinking outside the box their choices Mm -hmm. and so 
think I was really lucky to, or, you know, we found each other or whatever to find these super talents who also just had these really unusual sensibilities yeah. that they brought to the... Another member of the cast that I want to talk about is, of course, Molly Ringwald. <laughs> talk about a queer awakening actor. <laughs> How did she end up getting involved with the project? And what was it like working with, you know, an 80s icon? A forever icon. I mean, yeah. it was... True. She also took me by surprise because she's such an artist. You know, she's got such great taste and she's so curious and she's so interesting and she um you know it's a real testament to molly that she did this small indie queer pervy horror film um, <laughs> you know i wrote her a love letter and why i thought that her qualities would be such a marvel in the film and within a day i think i was She'd read the script and we were Zooming and she was just so cool. And then she said yes. And that usually just doesn't, like, I was so surprised. I thought it would be, you know, she was such a dream, the dream to get. Because I knew, you know, it's really about um, worshiping motherhood in -hmm. all its splendor and all its terror. And I needed someone who could be, you know, like the Lord of the film, the God, the goddess, whatever. And, and it had to be Molly. And, and so um, it felt like magic. Everybody felt like magic that we got. And she really just is so dazzling and hot and fierce. And yeah. our, our mom, yeah. our mom, <laughs> our mom. <The> mother. <laughs> yes. She is so amazing in it because I've seen Molly Ringwald in a million different films, but I don't think I've ever seen her be quite so kind of cold and calculated and also this like amazing sex bomb. It's it's really a great performance. And there's like a campiness to it too with those YouTube videos, you know? Mm-hmm. I know, and mm-hmm. but she's so hot and she's yeah. so fierce. Absolutely. Like when she's like, she kind of kills me when she's like, texting while she says well we all do bad things sometimes and she's like, <laughs> you're texting now well, that was so cool <laughs> so you brought up motherhood and obviously that's a major theme both in this film and in Lyle and in Lyle it's more about like wanting a child but here it's really maternal ambivalence and even abandonment that you're kind of exploring can you talk a little bit about how these films speak to kind of complicated feelings that women may have about motherhood? Yeah, I think, I think complicated isn't a big enough word. I think of motherhood as being like my central religion or something. It's more of a, like a worshiping of the power that uh, I think that it's our first relationship we ever have. And, you know, our first heartbreak for a lot of people and romantic relationships I argue can't even compete Mm. with that dynamic. This is, you know, getting into my head and what I'm trying to explore with the film is, you know, maybe we've underestimated this relationship (laughs) that we all have. Like there is one day when no matter for each person on this planet, and you had a big day with your mom. <laughs> at least one. You know, you were in the same room. We can all say that. Yeah. <laughs> it probably was a violent day. Um, yeah. So it's like day one. Like, why isn't that God? Like, <laughs> um, so, you know, it's about that massive influence that mother has over us. Mm. So mm-hmm. for God is dead, mom is, you know, reigning strongly over us all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I And this movie is full of sort of taboos, right? You know, like one of the big taboos even in 2023 is like, is maternal ambivalence, but also still taboo to be rageful as women. Um, And so we always love a movie that explores female rage. You mentioned it earlier, and we will always respond positively to that. Why do you feel like that is still a taboo today and something that needs to be explored in film? 
you know, it's funny. It took me a long time to make this this film, and um, it's a real testament to my producers and everybody involved in making it that they didn't question that part of the film because a lot of steps along the way, they people don't want to see women doing that. They don't want to see women being violent, for one, no matter how operatic. You know, I, the violence in my film is very expressive. It's not realism. It's a kind of poetic, operatic outburst. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like there has been an agenda for what women are supposed to make. And that is we are supposed to, you know, I'm making a movie about mom, but I'm trying to change the conversation about what that role is. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea of the nurturing, self-sacrificing, giving woman, mom, you know, those things go hand in hand. Um, is often, I think, what the kind of films people want from a woman. You know, let Tarantino, yeah. let the boys do crazy wild stuff and be flamboyant and take wild choices. But women, you know, let's talk about topics and be subtle and fix the world in these very small, simple ways that I don't think help anybody um, necessarily. I mean, I want those films to exist too, but they just do not reflect who I am. I walk a little louder. And I, you know, I, I want to take up space. I lie. I, I want to yell. I'm mad. And um, the more that I think society tells us, you know, tries to fit us all into roles, all of us, the more oppressed people, that gets bottled up somewhere. So I think the rage has to come out. And um, perhaps it's more dangerous to not show it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I mean, and it's cathartic to watch for us, you know, because right. you go through so much of your life not being able to express that rage and getting to see a character do that on screen. Uh, there's something almost like joyful in that in a weird mm -hmm. way. Well, That's so no interesting. Requirement for justification, like you have to make a case for anger in real life, whereas in film you can kind of just like experience it and relate to it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not to say that it's a model of how to be. It's just that it's a feeling we have. And men yeah. have, you know, these characters in film history and literature that speak to generations and express a time and place. Mm -hmm. And we don't love Travis Bickle because he went nuts. We love him because he was showing a product of whatever post Vietnam capitalist, I don't know, nihilist, <laughs> you know, rage. And so yeah. it's not, it's not that we love him because he did bad things. It's like we love him because it's expressive of something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So oftentimes when we get a queer movie, the horror element is trauma. It's almost always trauma. <laughs> but in your film, the sexuality of the characters is really just kind of stated as a fact. It's a backdrop to a bigger narrative was that an intentional choice for you as a director you know it always starts from a personal place and then I find the politics as I move through the story but I think the I don't really I think it's important to have all different experiences out there for me I started dating women later in life I was already such an alternative weirdo child that like <laughs> being eccentric or, or whatever being outside the norm, whatever the norm is, wasn't that was an area I was already comfortable in. So the trauma around um, my queerness was different than it might be for someone who, it, you know, it's different for everybody, but it was not something that I was ever drawn to make. Like, I, I just, I'm more interested in a world without straight men. <laughs> so it's more like I create <laughs> worlds without that are just reimagined that I I grew up with women and I'm around women. All my best friends are women. I have lots of guy friends too, but I just write women. I like women. I'm more interested in women. Um, and so I, I, they kind of, the men become like a little bit of an annoyance. It's not that I'm being that political about it. I'm just bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get well, that. <laughs> what I love so much about your films is they almost work as a thought experiment. You know, like they're 
whether you intended to set you know set out to to explore similar sort of things as Rosemary's Baby and The Shining initially when you decided to make these films I do think ultimately as the audience we get to see like an alternate version of the world like what happens if the person of these lionized directors are were not a straight white or I don't know, I'm actually not sure about Kathleen Kubrick, but a, a straight male, right? And I think that that is so fascinating and I appreciate it. And so I know that your intention was not to direct a uh, a queer shining, but I'm wondering as you're moving forward and you're going to direct a third film in your motherhood trilogy at some point, we hope. I mean, I understand that's the plan. Do you think that you will tackle another one of these sort of tentpole horror films and, and re- contextualize it through a queer lens? That's a great question. You know, the movies that I direct are never, like, I never set out to repurpose those other films. They just kind of found their way in. So I, thinking about Daughter, and when I visualize it, I don't, I can't see that it references something else, but I'm not going to say that because it seems like a a part of me doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's a natural evolution. You're like, okay, this is my worldview that and then this is what I make. I think that's a that's actually a really cool trajectory, you know, as sort of in as the films are in conversation with one another. I think that's actually really cool. I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah. I also I'll just think just... it's so interesting that you didn't plan it, that some of the stuff just yeah. happened. Yeah. No, no, I didn't plan any of it. Um, I think there is a story that I always have thought of women in, which is deliverance. Oh, <laughs> I would like to see that very much. Yes. I would like to see that. <laughs> I hope you get to make that someday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I understand there was a film that you asked your stars to watch before you filmed the film, which is my one of my all-time favorite films, largely because of the performance of its central female character. Like that was kind of like my first sort of representation of of an awesome, powerful woman on screen. And that, of course, is is Alien. Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted them to watch that as opposed to like The Shining. (laughs) Yeah, I think that what Alien does that is just so beautiful is the, um, it's quite an elaborate new world with a brand new aesthetic and everything, but the naturalism in it is beautiful. And I think getting that real world in your imagined world is like the hardest thing. And I wanted that like, everyday natural authenticity between the characters and um so it was really just about the beginning there i mean obviously there's this contained atmosphere and wondering about each other and everything but it was really about just that beginning when they're all like just living in a space naturally that i think is perfect (laughs) yeah yeah. I, mean, I think that is really reflected in your film. There is a naturalistic element to the way that things are acted, the way that you set scenes up, even the location. <laughs> that yeah. hotel is kind of a character in and of itself. I mean, it's sort of crumbling and falling apart. There's like water leaking on the third floor. Everything's just like a little bit off, you know, and not polished and shiny new. Can you talk about picking that hotel and how that all came to be and why you chose it? The hotel was like this gift, you know, it kind of, I feel like it pulled me to it. And I was looking at <laughs> hotels. I've been looking at hotels forever, you know, I was leaving notes and meeting with managers and it was either this dusty, cobwebby, antique kind of cliche of a horror film mm-hmm. hotel, which I didn't want, or it was the kind of franchise, family-friendly, um, really sterile place. And so during COVID, I, you know, was doing my thing, pull my car over, I see a hotel. I, I mean, so many hotels, hundreds I've done this to. And I left this note up and I got a call, it was closed down. I just taped a note on the door. Hey, you know, I'm making this movie. This might, can I see your hotel? And I got a month, a call <laughs> a month later. And, you know, from the outside, it just looked like a box. And I walked inside and I was like, oh, well, it has to be here. <laughs> yes. So, you know, directing the scenes in this hotel they started to change and you know you'd let the the just like the actors brought a quality the hotel had a quality and kind of 
you know, you're like, oh, that circular room is definitely Molly's room. And <laughs> they would just kind of um, start talking to you. Yeah, oh, I love that. I also think it really adds to the horror because it's at, at certain points, it feels like it's wide open and there's all this space. But then there are other points where they're in these hallways and everything feels very confined and claustrophobic mm -hmm. and maze like. Yeah, yeah. really good. Maze like is right. Yeah. 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 And I wanted to feel like it was her body and you're kind of moving through it. And um, oh, I love that. You know, it gets red on the third floor and mm, pink yeah. and there's like vulva color and like it's leaking. And <laughs> it also had just this. It reminded me of like an old prom dress or something from the 90s. It wasn't like yeah. super antique. There was something forgotten. Like you could feel the prom that was about to happen. And kind of, mm -hmm. I don't know. There was yeah, something a little really stuck in time. about it. Yeah, yeah, but not like gothic. It no. was like it's mob like, and brass. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. familiar yet like mildly corrupted, which I think thematically kind of works with the film. It's a perfect, perfect setting. I, I love the story of how you got it because it is it like feels like fate. It's the perfect setting for this story. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was like that. <laughs> so on the show, we really focus on women identified directors and non-binary uh, filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. And we as a result, we've had an opportunity to speak with uh, you know, several amazing filmmakers like yourself. And we, we like to talk about a little bit, maybe some of the challenges in the business um, that you may face being a woman. Does you feel like it creates unique challenges for you? And does being a queer woman create additional unique challenges for you? Yeah, I think that the challenges of being um, a non-white straight guy are that all the gatekeepers are <laughs> tend to be straight white guys and they are passionate about what they're doing right. and they are using their gut to inform them their guts just not the same as mine so I think that it's not like how do we keep women or non-binary people or queer people out so much as I don't understand that at all and it scares <laughs> me so, I, I just feel like we need to change shake everything up which is maybe why the strike and the labor movement is across our country so exciting because mm -hmm. it just feels like everything needs to be dusted off and messed up a little and we need everybody's voices and yeah. um I think that, that people don't, first of all, I even think women have an agenda of what a story should be. You know, I've, I've had people turn down my film because it was a horror film. A woman doesn't like horror, she thinks it's bad. Or, you know, it's kind of an old fashioned idea now. But yeah. six years ago, there were executives who said, no, I won't do horror. Or they don't understand the brutality in the film, like as being an expression that they just, you know, there's such a brand from the slasher film and the misogyny of so many horror films that people can't untie themselves from. Mm, so there's just mm -hmm. preconceived ideas and, you know, we, people carry them around with them. So I think it's just about bringing different voices and different people, not just as storytellers, but in every position across the industry. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely need that. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about horror as being the Trojan horse, you know, genre, because you can talk about anything and people's yeah. defenses are kind of down because they're here for the fantasy. And then they're like, oh, whoa, this is actually like a really important conversation about something like a social issue or a gender issue or a queer issue. Uh, you got me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. How to make vegetables taste delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I, I love what you said too, because I think it's, it's so accurate that like the different perspectives are going to give you a different movie. Cause you're just going to make something differently than a straight white guy would. You know, the choices that men historically made in horror, especially like in the eight seventies and eighties, if there was a character, a woman character who was like into women, if there was a lesbian or queer relationship, it was all done to like titillate men. But the way you film it and the way you have the costumes done is to make it feel really real and really lived in, you know? Can you talk a little bit about those choices? I mean, 
what you're saying is so important, you know, and it's not just that example, it's so many things. So not only is it boring for just one slice of our population to be telling and controlling all the stories, it's dangerous Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, patriarchy, misogyny has flourished. And um, what do I think about, I mean, as an artist, it's just so sad to see all the careers that didn't make it that were women or um, people of color or, you know, just non straight white people. And, you know, I read the books and it's just painful. And Mm -hmm. some of the artists that you're most excited about and they just end. And yeah, but alongside that, I do feel like there's a history of um, horror belonging to marginalized groups. You know, Mm -hmm. it's always been, and horror has been a a really important part of filmmaking since day one, since movies started a hundred years ago, 130 Mm -hmm. years ago. And um, it's just, it's about people opening their minds to what horror can be mm-hmm. as they are. You guys are doing the important work on that. Um, but okay. So getting back to just like showing, I can't stand. Yeah. There's so many things that bother me, but seeing <laughs> queer women being titillating is yeah. horrible. And um, that it's a big deal to just have, the the relation there's just a lesbian couple and it's not the story you know that it's not a coming out story that that's um a big deal is just too bad that that is a thing and i'm so happy that i can be part of a conversation or make films that don't do that um that i guess normalize i don't know that that's the word i would use but it's the only one i can think of um and I think it goes, it's probably more insidious than that. Like, you know, just the way women are killed in a movie or, or how women behave, like we were talking about before, or what's what they're allowed to do, what, not just women on the screen, but or queer women on the screen, what part they get to play. But again, who gets to tell those stories? So true. That is so true. I think I rambled a little there. No, <laughs> no. no I think great. what you're saying is incredibly powerful and absolutely true. Um, I'm unfortunately we're getting close to the end of our time here. I could talk to you forever. I have like a thousand more know, questions. So interesting. But <laughs> so like, interesting. truly, I could listen to you talk about horror films forever. As we, I said at the beginning, we have obsessively followed the progress of your second film. We got to ask, what is next? Any any news on that front? Anything we should be watching out for now? Well, I've got Daughter, which is the third part of the trilogy. And then, but the next, I'm taking it, I'm doing a different movie in between. It, my, ne- my next film that I will direct is Frigid, which is a slasher film with older women. And oh my gosh. Kind of Tickets sold. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love older women. Like I'm fascinated and I feel like, you know, another thing that we see in in movies is an older body an older woman's body is being terrifying mm, yeah and i don't like that yeah, you know like I mean, older women a, and- rachel's pointing at me because it's a pet peeve that i oh yes bring up <laughs> oh, okay. um yeah but i mean even in the shining right there's yeah. a woman who has an elderly body i mean it's also kind of she's rotting, probably 40 but, but right exactly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that happens so frequently where older women are used as horror. I love the idea of having a slasher movie with older women as characters. That's awesome. I can't wait to see that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> All on hold for the strikes and for the world to reemerge oh, yes. in a fair play. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It will not be written by AI. <laughs> so Thank you. Uh, obviously, we have to we have to wrap up. I don't want to, but we have to. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This has been amazing. It's been a dream come true. We love your work. We love both of your films. We cannot uh, wait to see what is next. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank this you for amazing. your work. And I feel so honored. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, we are back. That was our interview with the amazing Stuart Thorndike. Ariel.
What do you think? We have been talking about this for at least like at least a year. Yeah. How are yeah. you feeling about it? So good. <laughs> she was amazing. I mean, you know, I thought we had pretty good questions to ask her, but her answers like were so great and so detailed and so thoughtful. And also, I mean, we got to do this over video. You guys aren't going to see that, but like, she's really cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, she was so smart, so thoughtful. I mean, the stuff that she, t- I mean, like, okay, so you and I have talked about a lot of maternal horror. We've talked about yeah. motherhood horror. We've talked yes. about maternal ambivalence, like as crows, childless crows. <laughs> it's certainly something we've talked about. Yeah. And like, um, I think motherhood horror is so cathartic, especially in your 30s and early 40s when you're like making like final decisions about things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we had covered the topic. So to hear someone talk about motherhood in a fresh and unique way was really interesting to me. Like, I love this idea that she had about sort of this, just sort of the powerful nature of this relationship. When she said the thing about like everyone, literally everyone in the world had at least one intense day with their mom and it was probably violent. That blew my mind. I know. I never thought about it that way before. Like that isn't a truth that has always existed and has never occurred to me. And it is such a blueprint for the just like visceral nature of the relationship you have with your mom, whether you have it with her or you don't like, it doesn't matter like that. Right. Because you still had that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have been at many births, and they oh my are God. beautiful and violent. Oh my, so. oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Don't get me started. <laughs> but yeah, that was so great, and also just talking about Molly Ringwald and how yes. game she was to be in this yes. movie. I mean, I have loved Molly Ringwald since loved. I was like seven years old. Loved. So it was amazing to see her be this like sex kitten, like powerful woman and all read it was so cool and i just love that she was like she read the script and wanted to do it you know mm-hmm. especially because I mean, it's such a micro budget movie not every star would be willing to i'm like ready for her to enter her femme fatale era i really Ooh. am yeah like she i could just do it uh-huh she's such a classic and unique mm-hmm. beauty like i would love to see her in like full femme fatale regalia <sighs> yeah she's great in this and so so stunning so stunning and then the last thing i want to talk about from this that really stood out to me was the story of finding the hotel i love that that, like (laughs) she was just like cruising around and then left a note and then that was it that was the hotel and it's such a cool place i think about that staircase the sort of like circular staircase you know like the foyer staircase is really interesting and like how it kind of in some places looks very grand and other places looks very sort of like dingy and like very dated in a way that all of it sort of reflects the psyche of Ruthie. I don't know. I just think the twisting hallways. It was very, very Mm -hmm. cool. And then just how plain it looks from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes it's just like fate, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like plain and unassuming from the inside, super complicated, twisted and broken down inside. If that's not a metaphor for what's going on with Ruthie. I mean, come on. Oof. Good point. (laughs) Good point. Yep, 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 yep. So, yes, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we enjoyed doing it because this was a total dream for me. Yeah, it was a real treat. And if you haven't already seen it, like I said at the beginning, Bad Things is available on Shudder. Go check it out and let us know what you think. All right. So that's kind of it for us. If you have some thoughts or some questions or suggestions, whatever the case may be, you can always email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page or slide into them DMs on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at ZG Podcasts. That's podcasts, plural. If you are enjoying the show, and we really hope you are because we love making it, then you can leave us a review or rate us or whatever it is on whatever platform that you are on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. I don't know where you are, wherever you are. Go on there and say five stars. These ladies rule. Make us feel all (laughs) good and fuzzy and warm and special inside. If you're looking for something else spooky to watch tonight because you've already watched bad things, then check out our VOD and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on the millions of streaming services and VOD services. 
there are so many. <laughs> I feel like there's a new one every day. Like I'll right? I'll come across something new and I'm like, are you now I gotta track this? Oh my lord. <laughs> Better and you than me. <laughs> well, and then I get like cranky about it. And then like one person's like, This is great, thanks. And I'm like, oh my god, of course I'm so happy to do it. <laughs> uh and if you want to support us, there's a couple of other ways you can do it aside from leaving that review. You can always buy some of our sweet, sweet merch at T at uh, zombiegirls.com forward slash merch or you can just go to Public. I mean that's where it's gonna take you and of course like everyone we have a Patreon so you can support us at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls to get those extended episodes bonus episodes oh get on the discord where you can also be tracked by PT Cruisers I know that doesn't sound like a perk <laughs> but it kind of is yeah <laughs> you're not just listening to the show you, you get to be a part it. of it you can be, yeah. it's like you're a part of it the parasocial like relationship will take go to the third dimension of <laughs> that is uh that is that is like the next level in a relationship that's like a d like dtr for us <laughs> but our parasocial relationship once you get the pt cruiser sighting oh my god <laughs> so ariel yeah normally we don't necessarily have a plan for the next episode mm -hmm. but these are wild and exciting times they sure through. are do you have any idea what we might uh, <clears throat> be doing on the next episode of More Deadly Director's Cut? Yeah. So the very next episode of More Deadly Director's Cut, we are interviewing Laura Moss, the director oh, of Birth, yeah. Rebirth. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which was Rachel's, like, most anticipated movie for me to see because she got to catch it at Sundance at the beginning mm -hmm. of the year. And I have just been waiting as she's been just, like, you know, trickling in these little tidbits about how much I need to watch this movie and just torturing me with it. I finally got to see it. I'm so excited that you guys are going to get to hear this amazing interview with this director. So stay tuned for that. Yes. All right. On that note, Ariel, we're done. Get us the heck out of here. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of More Deadly Director's Cut. Thank you so much to Stuart Thorndike for giving us her time. The interview was amazing. We had so much fun. We hope you all enjoyed it. And we'll be back next time with our interview with Laura Moss. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Missman Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Neal.